0: you're listening to a sermon by hope bible church niagara we believe in unapologetic preaching unashamed adoration of jesus unceasing prayer unafraid witness and uncommon community if you have yet to do so we would love to have you join us for worship in god's word on sunday mornings for more information visit us online at hopeniagara.ca. thanks for listening well good morning hope niagara so good to see you and uh, I want to say, you, again, you sound really good. I think you're getting better. like you're singing. I don't know. Maybe it's just a hymn like that that you know well, uh, but really sounds good. And it's so good to hear your voice. It's a blessing to me, and I'm sure it is to each other as well as you sing. Um, Our plan this morning had been to pray over and to bless the Patterson family and to host a reception after the service uh, to say farewell. However, due to some illness in the Patterson household, uh, that is rescheduled to next week. Okay, So uh, next Sunday we will endeavor to do that, Lord willing, and uh, obviously we'll hope for a speedy recovery for Brett and his family, but uh, they're feeling a little under the weather today, so no problem. We'll just push it back to... Uh, to next Sunday. We'll do it then instead. However, this morning I do want to bring you an update on behalf of the elders with Brett's imminent departure. Uh, we've been praying and, and working on our plans for staffing without him. And uh, this has been a, a very sad uh, process to go through. Obviously, we're going to miss Brett immensely, and he's, he's, there's enormous shoes to fill. Um, before I tell you, though, the specifics, I want, just want to give you a little background to help you better understand the path that we're choosing. Over the last couple of years, if you've been here for the last couple of years, you'll know there's been a lot of of staffing change here in our church. Uh, We've welcomed new people, and also we've seen others move on to other places. Uh, So these kinds of changes, as you know, make for real challenges in lots of ways, and uh, especially too when we think of meeting the needs of our people and, and staying fruitful and on mission. Uh, when good people are called away, and there's been tremendously good people serving this church, when good people are called away from here, it, uh, it leaves behind huge ministry needs. And um, the focus of those who are left behind shifts into covering what's missing, and uh, it can really kind of slow up progr- progress uh, as, we, as we do that. And that's just, it's just part of the territory, part of the name of the game, I guess. Uh, but at the same time, those who've remained on staff or in leadership uh, here in our church, while we're doing the best to pick up the pieces left behind from other vacancies, um, they also still have their existing responsibilities to do. So it gets quite heavy in time. I think it's also important to recognize um, that... I think, it is also, I think it is important to recognize that the, these are real challenges that our church has faced and is facing. We're not complaining. At all. Uh, just explaining. These, these, are, these are realities. So this is, this is, there's huge shoes to fill. And uh, those of us who are still here, we're, we're needing to bridge the gap while at the same time keep looking forward and moving the mission forward. But, so it's challenging. But challenges like this aren't all bad. In fact, to the contrary, challenges like this, seasons like this can also present us with opportunities to earnestly seek the Lord and also to reassess how he wants us to move forward and where he wants us to go. So, you know, asking God, what's best next? That's a good prayer to pray. And when you're in seasons like this, you find yourself praying that. So as Brett prepares to move on to what God is calling him to, we as elders have had some really good conversations together and with Brett to work out what are we going to do when he leaves, and these have been really good conversations, thinking about what's going to have to be filled in his absence, and at the same time, looking for ways we want to keep moving forward as a church and not stall. It's our shared conclusion that, in, that replacing Brett one for one is not the wisest way for us to move forward. A new chapter for a church calls for a different approach. So to that end, I want to tell you this morning about four exciting things four things. I know, not just one thing. I'm not going to make you wait till next week to tell you what they are either. I'm going to tell you right now. Okay? First of all, we have begun in earnest our search for a pastor of congregational care. This person will not be taking over Brett's job description as it's written for Brett. Rather, we've revised the responsibilities for this person so that they will provide leadership, and development of our soul care ministry or biblical counseling and small groups. Their, their, their mandate will be to care for the congregation in terms of pastoral care, not exclusively, obviously, together with the rest of the pastoral team, but to give leadership to that and with particular expression in counseling and in small groups. Uh, there's a strong emphasis... Uh, in this role, for this person to be an equipper. Our vision for this person is that they will care for the congregation, and in caring for the congregation, they will equip more and more people very intentionally, strategically, on purpose, equip more and more people to do the work of the ministry. So we would envision that in time, there will be more and more soul caregivers, biblical counselors, and you're looking at them when you look around the room. And to equip and, and to be able to more intentionally equip and train up more small group leaders. So that we've got a, a, a pipeline, as it were, of people equipped and ready to give, minist- give ministry. What's the difference, you say? It's a little more focused. It's two things especially, small groups and soul care. But it's really a major umbrella over it in terms of not just being a doer, but especially an equipper. To equip others. So that's what, that's our heart, that's our vision for the pastor of congregational care um second we're also endeavoring to add a part-time biblical counselor to our team so this person will support the pastor for congregational care by providing direct counseling i don't know if you realize it or not but right now about 75 percent of pastor brett's time is devoted to counseling so that's a significant amount of time nobody's complaining not at all just explaining that's just that's the reality that's what it's turned into over time as we as brett has sought to um, meet the needs of our people and so we see that here's a need we really we really need to staff this and boost this so supporting the pastor congregational care will be we we are praying for A biblical counselor who'll come and give us some part-time support. This is, if you've been here in our church longer, a lot longer than me, you'll know this isn't new. We've had this in the past. Ted Molyneux was here uh, providing uh, uh, counseling. I believe it was like basically one day a week he would come in and do that. That is the kind of thing that we have in mind as we look for that, as we look forward. So that's the second thing. Third, I'm very excited this morning to tell you that the elders have immediately, uh, or as soon as he gets back from visiting his, his grandkids, uh, he, we are, are appointing immediately uh, Lewis Hutton to be our director of small groups. As Brett leaves, small groups is a light that we cannot, we will not let go out. And so uh, Lewis is now picking up the baton and he will take over leadership of our small groups ministry. So everything small group, Lewis will provide direct leadership for, from encouraging our small group leaders to helping people get into small groups to getting new groups established to uh, helping sort out issues to providing you curriculum. Uh, Lewis will be the point person. Do we have a picture of Lewis? By any chance? No? I sent that to somebody. I'll talk to them later about that. That's okay. Anyway, so if you're wondering who Lewis is... There's a picture of him out there somewhere, and uh, he would be here, but he's, there's something with these grandkids. I don't, I don't understand that, but the grandparents in the room... Uh, he's seeing them this weekend. So uh, Lewis and Barb have been part of our church now for a couple of years. They came to us from Hope Oakville. They live in Niagara Falls. And uh, Lewis was heavily involved in small group ministry there. He was a flock leader. And um, so, and also, if you have been in small groups, he has been, for this last year, he's been writing your curriculum every week. So that what you get every week for your group, that's, Lewis has prepared that. Uh, for you. So we are very, very excited, so grateful for Lewis to take that on, and he is already working at that. He's very excited about doing it, and we're really grateful that uh, we we trust that that, that small groups won't miss a beat with him coming on. So he will join us part-time on staff to lead small groups. Fourth, this fall, we will be restarting some of our discipleship classes, I think they've been formally called in the past growth groups. I think we're just going to shuffle aside the, the phrase growth groups because it gets confused with small groups. And so we just call them discipleship classes. That's what they are. We have, we have in the hopper about, Brett tells me, about 13 or 14 sets of curricula for a different courses of training and equipping and developing our people. And, uh, well, this thing called COVID came along and there's, everything went haywire. And uh, for the most part, many of those things have been set aside. Um, of course, the baptism class has gone on and discover and, and, and hope essentials has gone on. But there's many other classes that we have. And we want to, we want to resume offering those and, and offer new ones to equip you for the mission that we're on. We are sorry. I just lost my spot here. These are not like my my preaching notes are all color coordinated. So I just look. I know exactly where I am. Here we are. Uh, Dave Franz, one of our elders, will be volunteering to help coordinate uh, the restart of our discipleship classes. Coordinate from everything from teaching to uh, getting teachers put in place, and to seeing and to working with me and the elders. To uh, to plot out a course for what we'll offer when going forward. So Dave Franz, is, as a volunteer, is going to take some uh, direct leadership over that to get that going. So there's our four things. So we're looking for a pastor of congregational care that's posted. You can pray for that, and I'll uh, be looking out for that. Uh, the second thing was a part-time biblical counselor that we are going to be that we are looking for. Uh, Lewis Hutton is leading small groups, and fourth, we were resuming uh, disciples Classes this fall. Dave Franz, as a volunteer leader, will be taking that on. Now, I got one more thing to tell you, and it's this: we're not done yet. We're just getting started. There's lots of things are shifting and and changing. I don't mean there's a whole overhaul. We know who we are. We know who we are as a church. We're not having this rediscovery of who are we. And we know we know who we are. We know what we're about. We know where we're going. But we're we are doing some tweaking. And as as uh, this season changes. Uh, we're, we're seeking the Lord to follow his lead. So I can tell you, these are four very exciting things for me, but I will tell you, we are just getting started. Okay? So please pray, and um, thank you for praying, too. I mean, even the fact that we've got small groups more than covered is a tremendous blessing. But as we go, hopefully you're encouraged by this. Uh, but that's what's happening. All right? All right. Okay. And now the color-coded notes. All right. Let me just pray, okay? One more time. So, Father, as we open up our Bibles, Lord, I need you. I really need your help. I want to preach this text well. It's your word. It's worthy of a good sermon. It's worthy of our hearing It's worthy of our internalizing and submitting ourselves to it. God, help us. God, come and be with us now as we open your word. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. I like sometimes playing a little game. Let's play in a game of name that tune. All right, you ready? Got your, got your music catalog in your mind all ready to go? Name that tune. Okay, so here we go. First clue is the song was released in June of 1965. All, right. all the all of our young adults are like, come on! Come on, give us a chance. No, no, you got a chance at this point. You do, you know it. June 1965, uh, when it went to air in the US, it was an instant hit, number one immediately on the charts. Soon after, it was also released in the UK. It was also number one. Any guesses so far? No, 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 that's coming later. The birds is coming later in this series. Not yet. Not yet. I like how you think, though. Sorry, somebody else got something other than the birds? No, it's not turn. That is the birds. Turn, turn, turn. No, that's not the song. That's coming later. All right, give me, some more, give me some more clues. Okay, now until it was released, the band who wrote and performed it were just a band on the rise, but band members say when this song came out, it put them over the top. It's What's that? Beatles? Not the Beatles, but you're getting warm. Okay? The Rolling Stones, all right. Okay, now we got to figure out what the song is. It's been covered by Aretha Franklin, Vanilla Ice, and Britney Spears, which is quite a collection. (laughs) Uh, Forty years after its release, Rolling Stone magazine declared it the second greatest rock song of all times. It's been streamed on Spotify 501,715,852 times as of Thursday. And if you scroll through your FM radio station this afternoon, there's a good chance you'll hear it at least once, that familiar riff. Down, 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 down. What was it? You said it? I can't get no satisfaction. There's a scary too many of you know that song. (laughs) That's right. I can't get no satisfaction. It's called satisfaction, but I can't get no satisfaction. Huge hit. Huge hit. When it came out, and really still is very popular. If you go to a hockey arena, you turn on your radio station, you watch TV commercials, you you will you will hear uh, that song many many times. And I'm thinking about what's the cause of the success of that song? I, certainly, the popularity of the band, the riff is there, It's a really catchy tune. Like I've just did it now. It's most of you it'll be in your heads now all day. You'll hate me by dinner time. Sorry. But it's a, it's a catchy tune, popular band. And I think, too, at the time, in the 60s, um, they really sort of caught the spirit of the age. And I ain't going to pretend that I fully understand the 60s. Uh, it was before my time, and uh, from another planet. But the reality is, is that the message had this really anti-commercialism message to it, this open acknowledgement of frustration and anger, that I think, probably at the time, was pretty cathartic. But also, it continues to be popular. And continues to be well known, and I think it's more than just a catchy tune. I think that a big part of its enduring popularity is that the message of the song so resonates with people. I can't get no satisfaction. I try and I try and I try, but I can't get no satisfaction. What do you try at? Maybe you're trying. You're trying at love. You're trying at business. You're trying at fitness. I try and I try. This this will I'm looking for happiness. I'm looking for a sense of fulfillment. I'm looking for I just looking for a sense of yes that lasts. And I but I can't get there. And I I think that song, I think it resonates. It's a message that hits home. But would it surprise you to know that long before the Rolling Stones, or even rock and roll for that matter, the Bible addresses and even articulates that very issue. You won't see the phrase, I can't get no satisfaction in the Bible, but you will see it today in different words in your Bible. You'll see it in the pen of one particular Old Testament writer who gave who, under inspiration of the Spirit, gave full vent to the frustration that is felt in this life at trying to find satisfaction and fulfillment apart from God. Apart from God, this person found that that effort was utterly futile. If you leave God out of the equation, you will be singing for real, I can't get no satisfaction. The book is entitled Ecclesiastes. And I want to I want you to turn there with me because I want you to I want you to see this morning a message that, that really I think puts into words something that every human heart wrestles with and encounters but also to see what God has to say about that. So let's go to the book of Ecclesiastes, and uh, we're going to begin chapter 1. I'm excited to start a series through Ecclesiastes this summer. We'll work our way uh, through this book over the course of these warm months. This series is entitled Making Sense of Life, Wisdom for the Real World, from Ecclesiastes. The content of this book is given by someone who we'll see in a moment is identified as the preacher, the preacher, or Koheleth, as some Bible scholars will refer to him as Hebrew, the Hebrew word, Hebrew name is Koheleth. We don't know if that was a formal name or just a title, likely a title. Um, But for some reason, for a season in his life, the preacher went on a journey away from God. I wonder how many of you have ever done that, gone on a journey away from God drifted away from him. And I don't know the circumstances. I don't know what happened. If, if something happened in his life and he got angry at God and chose to rebel against him and to go away from him. or I don't know if maybe he was in a, found himself in some kind of hard to describe season of spiritual darkness when he went seeking to, to find, to see if there's, there's better happiness elsewhere. Or maybe if it was just sort of a time of drift and spiritual apathy. Some of you know what that's like, right? You just sort of find yourself in a place where you're just really lukewarm and really kind of spiritually mediocre. And then that maybe he looked back on that season and began to put down what he was thinking and experiencing at that time. I, I don't know. I don't know what happened to him. But what I do know is what he learned. I know it because he wrote it down in this journal called Ecclesiastes. Things that he learned Insights he gleaned as he looks back on this season of being away from God and realizing some things and learning some things that are true. And it's recorded for us for our instruction. Now I'm going to read the first 15 verses of Ecclesiastes. And then, and then we'll, we'll walk away through. We'll try to make sense of this text as we seek to make sense of life. So begin in verse 1 here. It says, The words of the preacher... The words of the preacher... The son of David, king in Jerusalem. I'll just pause to say that it's widely believed that the author, the preacher in Ecclesiastes is Solomon, David's son. I'd say there's a good case to be made for that. I would say we don't know for sure, for sure that that's the case because he never names himself in the book. But there's good reason to think, and here we have reason. He's the the son of David. He's king in Jerusalem. We'll see later in Ecclesiastes, he talks about having unmatched wisdom compared to others. Don't think he's bragging, but that he was given unmatched wisdom. Well, that sounds like King Solomon from the Old Testament. Anyway, no matter. It's just a curiosity. And from time to time, I may refer to the author as Solomon, and you'll know why. Verse 2, here's what the preacher says. Here's his sermon. See how you like it. Vanity of vanity, vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down. It hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north, around. And around goes the wind, and on its current the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. You might want to mark that verse, some of you. Isn't that how some of you feel today? All things are full of weariness. So tired and tired of being tired. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, See, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. See why we kind of think it's Solomon again? And I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I'd suggest to you the central point the author is making in these verses is this, is that as he looks at life in this world from this under-the-sun perspective, just looking at this life, I believe his conclusion could be summarized as this. Everything in this world is frustrated by futility. Everything in this world is frustrated by futility. Vanities, meaningless, he says. He cries out. In other words... This life is full of that which is fleeting, that which is elusive. You try to grab hold of it, and you come up empty again and again. Things are profitless, fruitless. The NIV uses the word meaningless. The Christian Standard Bible uses the phrase absolute futility. Pointless, useless, Meaningless. He says, if you're looking for meaning or fulfillment or satisfaction in this world, you're wasting your time. Everything is futile, pointless, vanity. Having a bad day, isn't he? Right? Preacher's, preacher's a little glum, we would say. But notice his perspective, it's under the sun. Verse 3, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? We'll see that phrase repeatedly, under the sun. This is recognized, it's helpful to see that this is the perspective that he has. It's under the sun, it's like here down, looking at the world. Notice, God is not in the picture in the positive way, in a hopeful way, yet. He's going to get there eventually. Eventually but he starts by making observation about life itself. And its conclusion is life stinks. Stinks. It's meaningless. This under-the-sun perspective has this preacher looking at life, analyzing life, apart from God. Like God's not in the picture. And what he sees is he sees a lot of frustration. You, You work... You labor, you, you pour out your sweat, blood, and tears in this world, and what does it leave you with? Nothing. You retire, and they forget about you. You drop dead, and they put you in a hole. What good is it? Verse 4. I love, love, love verse 4. Look at that. A generation goes, and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. People are born, people die. Generation after generation comes and goes, but the earth just carries on more or less as if we weren't even here. Oh, yeah, they build buildings, but those buildings fall and crumble, and we bulldoze them over and put up subdivisions. Oh, yeah, they had a beautiful garden, but the new people came in and tore it all out. It's just, it's just, generation comes and goes, and it's just like we were living here. Now, things are, you know, things are getting pretty dark when he's mad about the sunset and the sunrise. Did you notice that? Verse 5. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the plate where it rises. Now lots of us, we, we will hasten to the place where it happens to see it happens to find pleasure and enjoyment. Lots of us will love to go, you know, maybe go to the beach where you've got a great beautiful view or down in Lake Huron. It's really stunning, isn't it? The sun sets down there. You go down there and, and you imagine you and your family, oh, look at the sunset, look at the sunset. Kohileth comes along, the preacher comes along and hears you oohing and awing over the sunset and said, what are you people looking at? It's the same thing every day. And I got a prediction. Wait here long enough, and it'll be back. Well, yeah, that's exciting. No, it's not, it's boring. Do something different. Go that direction. Stay a little longer. Meaningless. The sun just goes round and round and round, and the wind, the wind, it's worse. It's nonsensical. He says it blows to the south and it goes to the north. Around and around the wind goes like, where is it going? It's just going here and going there and going around. What is it doing? He's upset. You're like, he, he's having a tough time. He is having a tough time. Nature is a source of frustration for him. You go there to relax, he goes there to get angry. What are you people excited about? The streams. He's bothered by the rivers and the streams. All the streams run into the sea, but the sea is not full. Like the sea never has a day when it stands up and saying, okay, we're good. We're good. You can stop flowing now. No, it just keeps going and going and going. Where's the water going? Into the sea. What's happening there? I don't know. It just keeps going in there. Of course, we know that the water, whatever happens scientifically, it evaporates and goes up, and there's clouds and water droplets, and there's this whole cycle. And for us in good days, with, with God in our hearts, and we look at the wonder of creation, the preacher called Hildeth looks at this and says, This is illustrative of the problem. It just keeps going and going, and nothing changes, nothing happens. It's just frustrating. It never gets anywhere. It never says, Okay, our work is done. It just keeps going. It's pointless. He says in verse eight, all things are full of weariness. There's another contemporary translation that renders it this way. All life is far more boring than words could ever say. Like, whoa. Maybe we should have a glass of water and sit down. But you know as well as I do, he is touching a nerve here. This life that we live, If we're honest, it ain't easy. And for all the fun we try to make in it, it quite regularly is not fun. All life is full of weariness. Some parents feel that this morning, don't you? I think, especially of some moms who, in this particular stage of life, feel constantly weary. You wake up tired. You rush around, it's like your life is a continual airport of hurry up and wait, hurry up and wait, rush around, rush, 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 get everybody ready, out the door or into the school classroom, wherever that is, teach people, feed people, clean people, change people, homework, mending, fixing, cooking, fall back into bed for another night of insufficient sleep, wake up, repeat. There might be some moms here that are loving Ecclesiastes. Like the highlighter is out saying, yes, yes, yes. Finally, somebody who understands me. It's like vanity. He's like, you'd never never get to a point in your life when you say, okay, now I've experienced enough. That's all I need. I'm content now. And of course, we try to deal with it by breaking away and, and distracting ourselves with all kinds of distractions. But after a while, even YouTube and social media and concert experiences and vacations, we realize they don't cut it either. Because we just come back to the same steaming pile of life that we left. The sun's still going around and around, doing its thing. The wind's still blowing around, doing whatever it's doing. My life still feels meaningless. I love, too, how he, he points out too that even there's nothing actually new. Notice that in verse 9 and 10. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? Now, in in our generation, we might be like, well, hang on a second. There's all kinds of things that are new. Remember many, many years ago, a man named Steve Jobs called together a big conference in which he announced we're 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 revealing a product today. We're revealing three products or three things. Uh, A new phone, uh, a a new computer, a new messaging device, and then he held up the first ever iPhone. He says, and the thing is that all three of these are on one thing, and this new thing called the smart, the iPhone, this smartphone, and it's so new. For those of you who are iPhone users, what generation of iPhone do you have? My first iPhone was an iPhone 4, you know where it is? I don't know. I don't know. It was pretty expensive when it was first purchased. I couldn't tell you where it is right now. The thing's a piece of junk. It quit working. That's why I got rid of it. The battery started dying on it. The apps wouldn't work on it. I had to go get a new one. And then I had to go get another new one. And of course we know that's probably some conspiracy maybe. It's baked in. But the reality is the reality is is that even what's new becomes old very fast. There's nothing really new. I've got an iPhone. Good for you. Three years from now, your kids will laugh in your face. You're still using that old thing? Remember the cell phone on the shoulder bag? (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. Watch an 80s TV show where the rich guy has a corded phone in his car? (laughs) Kohileth, the preacher says, you see? Exactly. Oh yeah, you and your technological boon. Telling you, there's nothing. As soon as they make it, a week later it's obsolete. You see what I mean? It's as bad as the sun. Meaningless. Vanity. Purposeless. There's no arriving. I can't get no satisfaction in this life. Verse 11. This one will really hit close to home. There's no remembrance of the former things. Nor will there be any remembrance of the later things yet to be among those who come after. Let me ask you this question. Uh, hands up, nice and high, if you know the first name of your grandparents. Hands up, nice and high. Nice and high means it. "Y'all yeah, want your to participate. Okay. Now, keep your hands up if you, sorry, it's going to hurt, but it's, it's a good workout, okay? Keep your hands up if you know the first name of your great-grandparents. Keep your hands up if you know the first name of your great great grandparents. Okay, we got two, three, four, four hands up for great great grandparents. So there's parents, grandparents, great parents, great great grandparents. So four generations. Now, do you know your great 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 grandparents? They still do. So there's still four people up. So these people, they got the family tree. They know. All right. You're good. You're good. So I counted three people in the fifth generation who know the names of their great, great, great grandparents. Point five generations from now, no one will know your name. No one will even care that you existed. And you're like, that's harsh, isn't it? But it's true. How many hours this week did you spend thinking about the great sacrifices of your great-great-great-grandparents? Most of you don't even know their names. You and I will be utterly forgotten. And Cohilda says, exactly. Don't you see how rotten this life is? Don't you see how purposeless this is? You poured your guts out this week in your job and trying to raise your family. Five generations from now, now, no one will know you're even here, and they won't care. You won't be missed. The most frustration you might cause somebody in five generations is when they're doing whatever kind of family tree gizmo they're doing then and trying to figure out what your name was and how to spell it. They don't know anything about you, and they won't care. They won't ask. See, Ross, you tried to encourage us today. No, but I am trying to show you what the Word of God is speaking about and addressing something that we feel in our hearts. There's something profoundly disappointing about this life. And lots of you feel it. We're frustrated by futility. The preacher says... Verses 12 to 15, he tells us what he's doing. He says, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. So he's got power, he's got fame, he's got authority, recognition. How's he feeling? Not great. And I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. Here, look, notice what he observes. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. From this under the sun perspective... This is unha- and a very unhappy thing. I've seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, verse 14, it is vanity or meaningless or purposeless. Purposeless. It's no good. It's a striving after the wind. Have you ever tried to catch the wind? Like, just try that. Do you feel a strong brace? See if you can catch it. Oh, I'll get up my sail and catch it. Try and grab hold of it, try and harness it. Now, I know you can use wind to make power and that sort of thing. But his point is is that satisfaction, joy, purpose in this life, it's like a person who feels the breeze and runs after to try to grab hold of it. And you can't. You're like the poor sap in the parking lot who drops his $5 bill and he reaches down to grab it. Oh, the wind takes it. And it, oh over here. And it, oh over here. And over here. And then, and then you, you, see, you, know, you, you see how frugal he is about how long he keeps fighting to find the bill. That's what it's like, he says. Everything in this world is frustrated by futility. It's a common experience of people. That satisfaction is hard to come by. And I think that the Rolling Stones knew that. And I think that you know that. And the Word of God here is identifying that in a pretty remarkable way. Everything in this world is frustrated by futility. Now, there is good news. The good news is that this is not where the book ends. It's where it begins. It's not where it ends. It will get worse, but it will get better. And by the end, by the conclusion of Ecclesiastes, it's anything but hopeless. Quite the opposite. However, for our purposes this morning, what I want to do is, under the banner of frustrated by futility, I want to pull together three points of application under this subject, from this subject, frustrated by futility. Three things that I want you to reflect on and internalize as we consider what we've just read here. Number one, our frustration with futility is a clue that we're made for something more. Our frustration with futility, our frustration this life, our feeling of, yeah, I can't get no satisfaction. And it, it is true. There's, there's so much that is elusive when it comes to f- purpose and meaning and fulfillment in this world. Yeah, yeah. So that sense that you have, that this text touches and, ide- and you identify with it, that's a clue for us. It's a clue for us that this, isn't the way, this is not the way it's supposed to be. Like there's something wrong here. It's a clue that we're made for something more. We intuitively know that our life is more than just living and dying. It's got to be. That's why we're frustrated by futility. That's why a song, I Can't Get No Satisfaction, resonates with us. Because we're like, yes, that's true, and it bothers me. There's something wrong. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, God, he has put eternity into man's heart's in other words we have an intuitive sense that life is more than just working and eating and sleeping and planning and pursuing and finding thrills and for someone to come along and hear you in your frustration for someone to come along and say look just relax relax stop thinking so hard about it just just deal that's not going to cut it For someone to come along and say, your problem is is that you think there is a point to life. Just live it. That's the point of life. Just live it. I find that most people, that just doesn't cut it for them. That is an opiate of the people. Just just don't think about it. Well, the preacher's like, I have to think about it. Because something's wrong here. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. Our frustration with futility is a clue that we're made for something more and you are made for something more. It doesn't prove that God exists. It doesn't prove that the Christian worldview is correct. But it sure testifies to the truth of God's word that he's put eternity into our hearts. Something's wrong here. Something tells me it's not supposed to be like this. It's a clue that we're made for something so much more. Second, frustration with futility can be overcome sorry frustration with futility can become overwhelming when we leave god out of the picture now this is a key piece here you'll notice in the from verses 1 to 11 he really doesn't say anything about god But he is giving full vent to his observation, his experience, his insight about life in this world under the sun, but leaving God out of the picture. God comes back into the picture in that paragraph from verses 12 to 15, where he talks about what God has given to us, what God has assigned to us, and we'll talk about that in just one second. But the reality is, is that when we leave God out of the picture, it can become overwhelming. And it should be overwhelming. Because it's not supposed to be like this. And what we need to realize and understand that is that we live in a world that is cursed. Cursed by God. Romans 8 verse 20 says this. The creation was subjected to futility. Note that word. The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Who's the him? It's God. Well, well, when did he do that? He did that when sin entered into humanity. Way back in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, everything in this world was broken because of a judicial action by God where he cursed the earth. I don't mean like he, to be clear, I'm not trying to be crass, it doesn't mean we say he cursed the earth, it doesn't mean he swore at it. He cursed it. He put it under a curse. He put it, he put it under judgment is what that means, so that everything is broken. We, we get sick, we die, things break down, things decay, there's death in this world, there is a lack of satisfaction because we're under judgment, so our accomplishments are hard to achieve, in fact, God told Adam that. He said, God told Adam and Eve that in their, their judgment, that their work, they would eat their food by the sweat of their brow. Life is going to be hard. It's going to be frustrating. It's going to be painful. The earth is cursed, so our accomplishments are going to be hard to achieve. Satisfaction will be fleeting. There will be satisfying moments, but they won't last. A real sense of meaning will feel elusive as part of the fall. It's part of the curse. It is this way because God made it this way because of sin. God told Adam that he was not to eat the fruit of the tree in the garden. And he said, and if you eat it, in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Adam did not drop dead in that moment, but believe me, he died. And everything was broken. This is what God's talking about. And what Kohileth, the preacher here, Solomon, is talking about is he's giving vent to the reality of living in a world that is cursed. And it's frustrating. Without divine revelation, without hearing from God, we're at a loss to know this. There's so many people. You ask the average person in your life, do you think the world is the way it should be? Do you think your life is going the way it should be? Most people will tell you No. But most people won't be able to articulate for you why that is. The best they might be able to offer is to say, well, that's just life. That's life. Yeah, but why is it life? Why is that life? Well, we know the Bible shows us because we live in a cursed world. Frustration over futility can become overwhelming, therefore, because we're living in a cursed world. But the key thing is, the key problem we have is that we leave God out of the picture. It can become overwhelming for you if you leave God out of the picture, if you forget what God has told you about why the world is the way it is and what God has done about it in Christ and what he will do about it. It can become totally devastating and overwhelming. Without hearing from God, without divine revelation, we can only grope at trying to make sense of life. But when we read God's word, he shows us. Here's the key thing, loved ones. We must not edit God out of the picture when we look at the frustrations of our lives. Let me illustrate it for you this way. I was visiting a a few years ago. I was in the home of of an elderly couple in our church, and we were just having a visit together. And on the way out the door, I noticed they had a beautiful family picture and uh, it, on the wall, and so I just just you know look at the picture, and they're telling me who's who, and um, and it, so the whole family was there in this picture, and in the bottom corner of the picture there was a big green box, and it said their last name and their and the year that the picture was taken. So we're looking at this picture, and then Grandma, with a bit of a twinkle in her eye, says, "Yeah, right there. See where that green box is." That's actually covering somebody up. <laughs> we go, oh, really? Do tell. Yeah, well, this granddaughter, This I love the juice. I, I can't deny it. I love the juicy story. So she says, yeah, this granddaughter here, the boyfriend was sitting beside her, but they broke up. So we put the big green box over him to keep the family picture. <laughs> like, that's brilliant. I love that. I wonder how many of you are editing God out of the picture. And that's becoming overwhelming. Because you try, and you try, and you try. Yeah, but don't forget God. It can become overwhelming. Our frustration with futility can become overwhelming when we leave God out of the picture. You read verses 2 to 11, and we read this, and be like, this dude needs to chill. But he can't chill until he puts God back in the picture. And then things change. So, frustration with futility, it's a clue that we're made for something so much more. It can become overwhelming when we leave God out of the picture. Thirdly, finally, while satisfaction is elusive under the sun, looking above the sun is where the hope is. If you try to find satisfaction and meaning and fulfillment in this world, leaving God out of the picture, I guarantee you, you will be disappointed. And you say, oh, come on, Pastor, come on. I know all kinds of people who are quite satisfied who are not Christians. They may be, they may be experiencing some satisfaction in their life, but I'm telling you, it won't last. It won't. It won't. Because even if somehow, some way, they can live this life saying, "I'm totally satisfied, this guy's crazy, he's on drugs. I don't know, I don't understand it. It is a great life." The end will come, and the end will not be satisfying. I also think a lot of people are lying, faking it, and that curated presentation they have on Facebook or Instagram is not real. It's not real. They're not that happy, And I'm not that cynical. While satisfaction is elusive under the sun, looking above the sun is where the hope is. Let's go back to Romans 8. Romans 8 says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. In hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. You see how great that that passage is? It's like, you know why life stinks? It's because we live in a cursed world. And God cursed it. But he did it in hope. It's not going to end there. This is not the end of the story. He did it in hope of the day when Jesus returns. And when he returns, behold, he will make all things new. And we will no longer in that day say everything is meaningless, meaningless. We will say, I am satisfied. I am delighted. We found our purpose. Here he is. Here is our reason. And all will not be lost. To the contrary, there will be stunning redemption. There is so much more to this life than what we see. There is hope that not only will our frustrations be relieved, but that the deep longings of our hearts will one day be satisfied the world will be someday what you wish it could be but isn't and it'll be so much better you will no longer say I can't get no satisfaction this is a lengthy quote but I want you to follow me with it it's going to be on the screen so you can follow along but it's Philip Reich and I just I think I can't say this better so I'm just going to read what he wrote about this text he says, quote, Looking above the sun also gives us a different perspective on human experience. Is anything new? Maybe not under the sun. But the God who rules over the sun is always doing something new, especially in Jesus Christ, who is the exception that proves the rule. God has made a new covenant for us in the blood of Jesus. A new covenant for us in the blood of Jesus. The blood he shed on the cross for the forgiveness of all of our sins. If we ask the question, why bother? The answer is that we have a Savior who looked at all the futility and frustration we suffer in this fallen world and chose to suffer it with us and for us so that we could, he could actually do something about it. So he's come to fix it. Then there is the new life that came up from the empty tomb when Jesus arose from the dead with the power of eternal salvation. There is the new heart that God gives to everyone who believes in Jesus. There is the new creation that comes when the Holy Spirit enters our minds and hearts. Once we give our lives to Jesus Christ, it is never the same old, same old ever again. The living God sits on the throne of the universe and says, Behold, I am making all things New. One day, this great God will make a new heaven and a new earth. Life's frustrations will not last forever. We live in the hope of a new day when the vaporous mist of this life will vanish and eternity will dawn in the brightness of the Savior's glory. You see, this world is frustrating. While satisfaction Under the sun is elusive. Looking above the sun. Looking to God. That's where the hope is. And that's where I'm calling on you to look. Got to get your eyes above the sun today, loved ones. To him. You feeling frustrated? You feeling that weariness? You feeling the pain of a world that's lost its mind? And find yourself, listen, find yourself spinning down a dark hole, getting angrier and angrier. Whole Bible Church, you must put your eyes above the sun. If your focus is under the sun, you will be a miserable person. You will. Because you live in a miserable world that's cursed. But get your eyes above the sun. That's where the hope is. It's where the joy is. It's where we see our Savior. And we remember, we live for a God who says, Behold, I make all things new. July 2015, some hackers stole the user data from a company called Ashley Madison. Ashley Madison was a company that facilitated extramarital affairs. At the time that they were hacked, they had 33 million users worldwide. One man whose name was exposed when it came out and when it was revealed publicly, in a moment, in a time of extreme despair and shame. He took his own life. His wife's name is Christy Gibson. And just after this happened, she was interviewed, I saw an interview with her on CNN, in which she talked about the pain and the sorrow of losing the man that she loved. What came out very clear in the interview is that Christy is a believer. That she loves and follows the Lord Jesus Christ that she hopes in him. And near the end of the interview, she said this, she walked with the interviewer out to a a place, a quiet place in the wilderness that she likes to go to be with God and to cry and to think. And she went out there and she looked up at the tall trees around her and she said to the interviewer, as she looked up, she says, I look at the blue sky beyond those dark branches and I remember that there's hope beyond my circumstances that is a hope that Ecclesiastes 1 is aching for and it's a hope that I believe that many of you are longing for and it's a hope that you will find when you look to God in his son the Lord Jesus Christ the word of God says in your presence there is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore we can find satisfaction when we look to him.